Magazines and Monsters, Episode 47, Iron Man Annual 3 from 1976. Hey everybody, Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange here, back with another recording for the show. And this is going to be a crazy comic book talk here. And when you're going to talk crazy comics, and especially the invincible Iron Man, I have to bring back my good pal, Luke Giaconetti. How are you, my friend? I am doing well, Bill. Thank you very much for having me back on you know, the last time we got together, we talked about uh, an Iron Man annual, and it went so well, we said, why don't we do that again? We'll talk about another Iron Man annual, because for, for a character that was as staid and as straightforward a superhero for as many years as Iron Man, they really cut loose on the annuals sometimes. Yeah, the last one we talked about was Annual 4, which was, it was kind of crazy. It was basically Iron Man, the champions, and then MODOK, who's a crazy villain. But that one, I got to be honest, does not hold a candle to the absurdity of this one. Yes. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Iron Man Annual 3 from 1976. And this one is uh, a little bit different creative team than Annual 4. And that's part of why, you know, uh, the, the craziness and the wackiness ensue in this one. And uh, we'll get to that one in a minute here. But uh, how about we talk about the cover here first? And this is... Uh, Rich Buckler and Frank Giacoya uh, cover here. What do you think of this cover here? Uh, well, I, I like this cover. I like that it it you know it puts it right out there. You know, first off, I'm always a, I was always I always am a fan because this this predates me uh, on this earth of the the annual trade dress from around this time mm-hmm. where they made a big deal out of the annuals, all new king size annual. Um, the cover, I mean, Buckler and Giacoya, I mean that that's that to me is a is a good mid seventies creative team, just not one that we saw on Iron Man. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. sure. I mean, Rich Buckler, he might've done some Iron Man in mean, Avengers maybe or here and there, but I don't think he ever did at least not in this time frame, an issue of invincible Iron Man. So it's very neat to see him on the cover. And, you know, man thing to me is one of those Marvel characters that if you put man thing on the cover, I'm going to notice. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you got Iron Man and man thing. And, uh, you know, Molecule Man never had the most interesting of costumes, but you put Iron Man and Man <laughs> thing straight forward, you know, front and center on the cover. You, you've you've got you've got my eyeballs right there. Yeah, this is a really cool cover. I like it. It's got, you know, the invincible Iron Man in huge, uh, big lettering and a picture, you know, in a circle of Iron Man's head there. And I love the Iron Man logo with the rivets in it. That's yes. like that's easily my favorite Iron Man logo there. And. Like you said, all new king size annual. You know, it's it's a, it was a big deal when they came out with these annuals, or you know, sometimes the giant size quarterlies too. They made a really big deal out of them, and they usually had really really good content in them. And uh, I like how it's got a little bit of a text here on the front here, which says the Armored Avenger battles the menacing Molecule Man and the Macabre Man thing, and you know, each uh, name is like kind of hovering over the top of each of the individual characters, and we have. Uh, the crazy molecule man here, although he looks very interesting. And we're going to get into that with this crazy story. He doesn't look like himself. He usually was a bald kind of crazy looking dude. And now he looks like he belongs in like a metal band. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah a... He's got, he's got kind of a, uh, kind of a glam thing going on here. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. His flowing blonde hair and his crazy wand. And he's zapping the crap out of Iron Man and man thing here. And an epic adventure you dare not miss. And, uh, he's like almost got these, uh, hands coming out of the, I don't know if that's supposed to be concrete or like macadam asphalt there or something like out of the ground and grabbing, yep. uh, 
Iron Man and Man thing here while he's zapping them with the crazy wand. So pretty neat cover there. I like it. Yeah. And Molecule Man, he's one of those characters, especially I'm thinking by this point in the in the 70s that, you know, because Molecule Man, if I'm remembering right, he was a Stan and Jack Fantastic Four villain mm-hmm. from from back in the day. Right. And it came yeah. very clear very quickly that, OK, what we've established, this guy is way too powerful to be used on a normal basis. So we had to have like a really fatal flaw so that you, otherwise you can't write a story with him. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, because he can he can manipulate anything made of molecules. Well, that's pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so his whole all his mental problems and all that, that that became kind of the uh, what's become the calling card of the character by this point in the 70s. I th- had kind of the uh, the second wave, that second influx of creators uh, at Marvel, because by this point, um, 76, uh, I'm trying to think who the editor in chief is at this point, but we've already had um you know stan moving out of writing into into being the the uh, you know being editor and um um i'm blanking on his name the guy that uh could make could connect anything together oh, roy, thomas. Together. roy thomas i don't know why i couldn't think of roy thomas so mm-hmm. but but you're getting this the second like marv wolfman is the actual editor on this issue so that's part of that that second wave and i think mm-hmm. sometimes you had some of these characters that were used a little bit in the Silver Age and the Bronze Age, like, well, we could do something different with this because we've got some different influences that we're bringing to the table. And I think we'll see that in this issue. Yeah, we will. And there's it's very continuity heavy as well. And referencing two other books where we had seen uh, Man-Thing and then Molecule Man as well. So, yeah, some some really cool stuff here. And, you know, like we said, the cover's a winner. And uh, inside we have a, a script by <laughs> Steve Gerber, you know, mm-hmm. so you, you know, it's going to be a wild one. And then uh, right. we have pencils, uh, Sal Buscema. Okay. Like he's one of those people I think of when I, in my brain, when I think bronze age, it's definitely Sal Buscema. I like mm-hmm. his pencils quite a bit and inks by Jack Abel. He did some inking here and there for Marvel. You know, he might have a huge list of credits for Marvel actually, but I, not a lot of it sticks out to me as something I think of as great inking. This issue is not bad at all. I did enjoy it, but he's not one of those people that just pops into my head when I think Bronze Age and, you know, artwork or inking with Marvel. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I I, I had to, I'm, I'm honestly legitimately surprised that this was not inked by Vinnie Coletta. Um, Coletta mm-hmm. was a regular inker on Iron Man at this time. The, 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 the creative, so this, this book came out I think it was actually a newsstand date of March 1976. And so that puts it right around like issue 88 and 89, 87, 88, 89, around there for Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And the creative team was kind of in flux because before this issue came out, Len Wein and Herb Trimpey had done some work um, and some of the early 80s and, and a little bit before that on Iron Man. When this actually comes out, Bill Mantlo is in the middle of a two-parter with George Tuska with the blizzard. Mm. And then nice. after that, you get Archie Goodwin start is, is comes in and Archie Goodwin and George Tuska are on the book for, for a, quite a while after that. Um, so, so the book is kind of in a little bit of flux for the creative team. It, you know, I, everybody says, or everybody thinks, Oh, well, you know, the first real steady creative team was, uh, was Bob and Dave, uh, you know, that, so Dave Michelinie and, and Bob Layton, and they did run the yeah. book for many, many years, but there were some decently long runs in this, you know, bronze age, the seventies era Iron Man that a lot of it gets overlooked. So mm-hmm. getting Gerber and Busema and Abel on this team to do this, um, annual 
kind of fits with the motif of Iron Man around this time. He didn't have that one definitive team, even though there was a lot of talent working on it. Um, I, personally, I, I always consider, I said, Archie Goodman and, uh, and George Tuska to be the, you know, 70s Iron Man team, you mm-hmm. know, when, yeah. when we're talking this, this era in the 70s. So, but, you know, to me, just the idea of Steve Gerber writing a straight up superhero as Iron Man is so fantastically Marvel 1976, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like Gerber (laughs) wasn't so pigeonholed into doing only the oddball stuff. But even when he's doing the not oddball stuff, it still came out kind of oddball. And I and I absolutely I'm not I'm not gonna bury the lead. I love that fact. And it it starts literally right at the beginning of this book and it doesn't let up. (laughs) Yeah. He was a workhorse for Marvel. When you look at his first four, you know, three, four, five, six years for Marvel, he was a workhorse. He did a ton of work for them, Steve Gerber. And he, like you said, it's he had his own style of writing, whether it was a quirky character in book or it wasn't. He you know, he wrote the way he wrote. He didn't really change his style of writing if it was going from, you know, Man Thing or Iron Man or whatever. He he wrote the way he wrote. And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the things I really like about him. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, this. Uh, so the opening splash page here, you know, in credits page, I, I love this. We have this huge image of man thing in the background. And then you have iron man and molecule man who does look like his normal bald self there um, in the foreground, kind of blasting each other. (laughs) The name of the story is more or less the return of the molecule man because he was, you know, presumed dead at this point after a confrontation with thing and man thing in Marvel two and one number one. So he'd been, you know, thought that thought to be dead here. And, and uh, I, he's back. On, but on that, on that. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say on that, that splash page again, mm. the first caption, and I, I'm not going to read the whole book, but the first caption to me is, is prime Steve Gerber because the first caption says caveat. You are presently ogling the most misleading frontispiece of 1976. We'll even go so far as to say it bears almost no relation to the 34 pages that follow it. (laughs) Thus informed, you may now make a choice as an educated consumer. Purchase and read this magazine or pass it up and make one of the biggest mistakes of your life. And (laughs) it's, it's like, okay. Again, it's Bronze Age Marvel. It's the Bronze Age in general. So we're being a little more experimental with trying things. But I mean, mm-hmm. there, he's literally telling you, yeah, this splash page, nothing to do with what you're about to read. But trust me, you're going to want to read this. And I, I, that is, that, like I said, that's prime Steve Gerber, right? The fact that mm-hmm. he, he respects the audience enough that he thinks you're <laughs> thinking on the same level that he is, right? You know? So. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then one of the other caption boxes says, you see, there's a reason we had to title this story. And then it says, more or less, the return of the molecule, man. And then an arrow pointing that says, and you'll never learn what it is unless you turn the page. So if you're a kid and you look at that, you're going to be like, oh, I have to have this comic because I have to yeah. read this. <laughs> Fantastic. It, it's it To me, it's sort of like, and I want to get your thought on this. It's sort of like Mad Magazine. You know, mm. Mad Magazine, the whole thing, why Mad was so popular with, I mean, frankly, a couple of generations of, of American youth is that mm-hmm. Mad the writers at Mad didn't talk to their audience like they were stupid. No. The, the writers at Mad, they they wanted you to be in on it, right? They they wanted they would mm-hmm. they were they were telling you the inside dirt. They were giving you the skinny. And so it it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. It's counterculture in that it's not talking down to the reader, it's treating the reader as an equal. 
And I said it, it really again, I'm not and I'm not saying that like Archie Goodman or Len Wein were writing down to their audience, but they didn't take that same approach. And their stuff reads more like a um, the 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 uh, uh, standard. And I'm not using that as a pejorative, the more standard superhero stuff of the time, whereas mm -hmm. reading this, it's like already setting itself uh, uh, apart. Oh, yeah, for sure. And to me, Gerber was on his own level because you did have other writers as well try to do these things. You know, Engelhart, I can think of Don McGregor, who, you know, that early Bronze and Bronze Age, you know, era guys that really rose to prominence. I feel like Gerber was like the top guy, especially at Marvel for, you know, writing that way. And mm -hmm. again, all these other people that I just mentioned and others I'm you know, blanking on here, they they did as well. But I feel like he was at the forefront and he was like the top guy for doing that because, again, you could pick this up, your little kid, and you could read this and you're like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. But if you were, you know, a college student at the time and you picked it up, you know, there are some references and current event type things in this book, too. That, you know, like you said, it's really going to make you think, well, like this writer guy, Steve Gerber, he really gets it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So. All right. Well, OK, the rest of the credits we had. The uh, colorist was Janice Cohen and letters on the splash page was Gaspar Saladino. He did a lot of the logos and splash pages like that. And then Irv Watanabe was uh, the letterer for the rest of the book. So I'll just do a quick little synopsis here and then we can dive right into uh, chapter one. What do you think? Let's do it. All right, so Tony Stark travels to the swamp in Citrusville, Florida, to hear a proposal about restoring Omegaville, an area that uses only solar power. We then see three kids playing nearby in the swamp, and one appears to drown, but we see the girl is now under the sway of the Molecule Man. So, okay, in a nutshell, that's kind of what happens here, but yep. there's a lot, and I mean a lot, to unpack and talk about here, so... Why don't we talk about it as soon as you turn that first page and you get to uh, something that Marvel did a lot in their books. And I love this about them when they had oversized books, they'd break them into chapters. So it yes. says chapter one, the ashes of the sun. And we get a, you know, a half page splash here of Tony Stark and a couple of guys in the middle of the swamp and Tony's a uh, chauffeur back there at the top of the hill. <laughs> so what do you think yeah. of this? <laughs> I this it's so and and again the the narrative boxes explain it but this is so out of place because mm -hmm. we wouldn't see Tony in a a swamp like you know really um uh wild, wild setting like this very often you know we'd see mm -mm. Tony Stark in a city setting or a or a boardroom you know mm -hmm. um something like that that's much more more common but here not, so again, it's already it's already setting itself apart with the setting. It's in Citrusville, which immediately perks up your ears if you've read any Man Thing, mm -hmm. because that's where that takes place. And then, sure enough, on the on page three here, we get not one but two footnotes to two different issues of Giant Size Man Thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, they... so we're all we're you know even before Man Thing shows up, which is later on that page, we're already saying <laughs> okay, this, this yeah it says Iron Man on the cover, but this is also an issue of Man Thing, and you should have been reading that book. And I just love the absurdity of Steve Gerber. So he starts out with, you know, Tony talking to these two guys because they want to start back up this project where it's, you know, just the solar power going to be using to, you know, run this community. And it just seems like I do think there's only one thing that really I felt like was a little like slightly out of place here as far as Gerber writing Iron Man here or Tony Stark, I guess, specifically. I'm not sure Tony would have been down with the idea of, uh, you know, backing 
a solar powered, you know, little town here. I just, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, at this point he was still very much like an industrialist kind of guy that was, I don't know that he was really interested in doing things that were, you know, like Gerber's trying to go with like an environmental angle here. I'm not sure. Maybe in, in the pages of Iron Man, maybe there was something different that I missed or didn't see, but I don't know that Tony was really, you know, into that kind of stuff, but regardless, it's, it's, it's a tiny little nitpick, but I just love how, again, you get this one, you know, you have this book open and the page on the left looks like, okay, your standard page and there's dialogue and all this stuff. And then you go to the next page and they're walking through the swamp and there's this gigantic skeleton just laying in the middle of the swamp. And Tony is like, what the heck is that? That's again, (laughs) this is, this is Steve Gerber right here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you get the, like I said, the, the big skeleton. And, you know, they immediately started talking about that and giant size man thing and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a cult, an entropy cult. Mm-hmm. And it's like, OK, it's like, yeah, we get it. We, we should have been reading man thing um, about uh, just to, to jump back real quick. The by this point, because we're, we're in the 80s. Yeah. So Tony had already done the first round of, oh, I'm going to get out of weapons manufacturing and start uh, making things that are going to help mankind. Mm, OK, uh, that is commonly ascribed to being an 80s uh, uh, phenomenon, but it actually does happen in the 70s as well. So it didn't really take me out of the story there because by because you got to remember is that, you know, Tony was an Iron Man was in Tales of Suspense for several years before his title started. So Mm -hmm. his title didn't start until I want to say 1971, somewhere around there, 70, 71. So by this point, I said that, that, you know, that that book's been been going on for for um, you know, a while because yeah. know, Tales of Suspense was a, was one of the, was what, 64. So, yeah, you know, so that, yeah, so that, that one, it, it, it does make sense in this era because he had gotten out of weapons manufacturing and was starting to see more diverse stuff. This would become obviously a much bigger deal in the eighties. Um, but it's one of those things again, that Archie Goodwin um, and, and Len Wein and some other guys, uh, you know, established that they don't necessarily get the credit for just because it's not as well known or well read. Um, and, and the other thing on, on this page is we see the man thing, we get, uh, shambling, I, they, all, all <laughs> muck monsters, at, no matter what the publisher, whether it's man thing, swamp thing, the heap, any <laughs> of them, they're always shambling. You know, mm-hmm. I've, you never see shambling in any other context. I don't think in a comic, except for a muck monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you <laughs> said too, I love how they have the, the callbacks to giant size man thing one giant size man thing two about this whole you know, uh, cult and the, the guy's name was Yagzan and <laughs> this entropist cult and this and that. And I love how this guy is just like talking to Tony, just very matter of fact about it, that it didn't freak him out in the least. And he yeah. goes, I like how he says, uh, about, they bring up man thing. And he says about man thing. He fought the walking mud lump. Yagzan had sicked on us, but to this day, we don't know if it was an act of heroism or part of a grudge match. And then there's a little uh, caption box from Gerber that says it was neither. <laughs> and I guess nowadays we would, we would assume that that would be Morgan Freeman. It was neither, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like you said, there's man thing kind of just watching these people from a distance. And I love that one panel too, where it says about how it references giant size man thing too, how you can see Tony and these two guys. And then you can also see the skeleton there yeah. in the background <laughs> and yep. just watching them. And then, you know, they all jump in the old uh, 
uh, like car here. I wouldn't say it's a limousine, but Tony's car. And then there's Man Thing, and he just, like I said, kind of shambles away. Like, yeah, I'm good to go here. And then we get into some of you know the narrative that you would get from a Man Thing comic book a little bit here. And I love this page here, page six, where it shows the three kids. Uh, yes. playing in this swamp here and there's a girl cynthia and she's dressed up like iron man and there's a boy and he's dressed up like spider-man and at first i thought who in the world is this other kid supposed to be dressed up as well you find out he's supposed to be dressed up as the molecule man he's the you know air quotes villain they're gonna fight <laughs> right it, it's and great I, stuff yeah and i've i think it was on it had have been the old fantastic cast show where they actually talked about marvel two and one number one Mm-hmm. And that whole bit with the man thing and and the thing fighting mm-hmm. the molecule man in the Florida swamps. So I that I, it it I've never read that, but it immediately brought me back to that, and I remembered that, and I kind of vaguely remembered that um, that the thing gave ma- a molecule man's uh, rod to just a kid. Mm-hmm. So it was great, great callback there. And th- this this whole sequence, you know, it's. I, I like it, but it is it is so heavy, man. It is it is really kind of rough. Mm-hmm. And again, it it gets into some of the differences that that we were seeing in the Bronze Age. And it's it's a little hard for me to read this. The whole thing of and I and you know, you know, it's it's funny because one of the shows I do is the, the Vault of Starting Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which is a horror podcast. And one of my co-hosts on there, the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler. He talks about as he's gotten older, he's gotten more hard boiled and, Mm -hmm. you know, less sensitive, you know, more and more desensitized to things. As I've gotten older, I've gone the other way. So this whole sequence with Cynthia, where she goes and she grabs a wand and she's menaced by um, uh, an an alligator and then she falls into the deep pool and Mm -hmm. drowns and the two boys panic and run away. And there's in fact, it's a. that there's one, the kid that's the molecule man on page nine, he goes, Boyd, I think she drowned. I think she's dead. What are we going to do? And the caption says, no answer, merely a glance at waiting bicycles. In fact, neither speaks another word for miles down the swamp side highway. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that legitimately was upsetting to me reading it, even yeah. knowing, cause I've, this is not, obviously I've, I've read this one before. So even knowing where it's going, that upset me a lot reading it. And I, I, that it's got to be the intent, right? The intent is clearly to show that because that's the whole thing with the molecule man is that actions have consequences, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we get the content and, and not, not professor Allen's type of consequences. Mind you, I'm talking about actual consequences <laughs> here. Um, you know, we get some of those consequences a little bit later, but that, that whole bit, like I said, it, it it's like something out of a King novel, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's awful and heavy and, but it's it and but that's part of that's part of storytelling, right? So I I think Gerber does a really good job here. And and Basima, mm-hmm. the artwork in this sequence is fantastic. You know, Basima can actually draw kids that don't look like weird little miniature adults. He actually draws kids that look like kids, and that makes it mm-hmm. all the all the better and all the worse at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it was when I first read this story, I was fully expecting the man thing to save the little girl. Yes. And then when he didn't, I was just like, wait a minute. Like, we're literally like, you know, 10 pages into a, a comic book about Molecule Man, Iron Man, and Man Thing. And it's like, you know, what, 11 or 12-year-old girl just died. It, it, it's it's yeah. crazy. Like, but again, it's not that crazy for Steve Gerber because he, he wrote a lot of wild stuff like this. And he, he wasn't afraid to take some chances. But, yeah, I love how 
uh, you know, of course, man thing has to fight an alligator, you know, so he does save the girl from the alligator and kill the alligator. It looks like he does anyway. But yeah, when you see that little girl drown, you're like, what is going on here? But it, it does take a bit of a time jump here because you flip the next page to page 10 and we see there's, uh, you know, a, uh, a funeral service going on yeah. for that little girl. And it shows the other two boys there. And, you know, some of the, the caption box here is, is, is really tough to read. It says, upon reaching their homes in Citrusville, the youngsters blurt out their tale to horrified parents. <laughs> then silently, they endure the spankings, the endless beratings, the accusatory glances, and the weeks spent in fruitless search for Cynthia or her body. At the yeah. memorial service, they are too spent to cry, perhaps too bitter as well. Sure, it was Cynthia who lost her life, but they had to watch privately. They wonder who got off easier. It's like, wow, man, Gerber's yeah. not screwing around here. Yeah, it's it's yeah, rough. That, and that's then, heavy stuff for an Iron Man annual, you know. I mean, yeah. It and again, yeah, you know, Iron Man again was was a pretty straightforward superhero book. We hadn't gotten into like the really mm-hmm. social stuff yet. Like I think Firebrand had shown up, and we got some of that kind of stuff. But yeah. the this this type of stuff. I mean, this I mean this is this is horrific. And it yeah. was just atypical and it, it really, it suits the story and it suits the guest stars. It's just atypical for Iron Man. And that's one of the reasons that, that this one always stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then over those uh, weeks as well, you know, uh, Stark and his crew were, you know, rebuilding uh, Omegaville. So it's, you know, speeding along, it says in the uh, caption box. And then we see Iron Man flying around the town here. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, these insane, like, they almost look like mines that would be in the water, you yes. know, and they're kind of like floating and they basically start attacking him. And this was kind of a wild part here. And, you know, he kind of like gets, you know, figures out how to defeat these things. But all of a sudden, then there are these crazy smiley faces. And I was just thinking to myself, what the heck is going on here? Like, where are these coming from? Yeah. Yeah. This, um, you ever uh th- there was there's an old um Activision game that was for the uh the 2600 it was called mm-hmm. Mega Mania Are oh, you familiar okay. with that game? Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in Mega Mania one of the oddball things is that it's it's a shooter, right? It's it's kind of mm-hmm. like Space Invaders, you're at the bottom shooting up, mm-hmm. but the what you're shooting changes each round and it changes into strange things like hamburgers and dice <laughs> and that's what it made me think of especially when they changed it to smiley faces i'm like oh it's like megamania but mm-hmm. this predates megamania by about five years so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's and it's weird too because even uh, iron man thinks to himself anyway the danger is past for now at least and with no clue as to where those things came from so yeah. he doesn't even have any clue where these things came from but then the townsfolk are there and I, it actually looks like the two guys that talked to Stark about, you know, rebuilding Omegaville. Uh, the one guy pipes up and says, so Tony Stark did bring his famous bodyguard along. He was expecting trouble from Omega or trouble for Omegaville. And Iron Man says, no, Mr. Benton, he wasn't. I travel everywhere with Stark. And at this point, I think it's premature to assume. And then some goon chucks a tomato yeah. at him. And I love the uh, sound effect there. Twap when it Twap. hits his, <laughs> his helmet and, you know, this guy's uh, a real goon, and yeah. uh, so, Tony, Tony, I like how Tony grabs him and gives him what for. <laughs> yeah, two, so two things here. One, 
there's probably an alternate take where Tony just splats this guy, you know, just, just well, you know, hit just hits him with the armor and leaves him dead and just <laughs> glares at everybody. <laughs> maybe that maybe that's the superior Iron Man annual three. I don't know. But uh, mm. the other thing and this 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 may this probably says more about me than anything else. Anytime somebody throws a tomato at somebody, I think of the penguin from Batman Returns. No, oh, when he gosh. says, "Why is there always some somebody that brings eggs and tomatoes to a speech?" <laughs> and I like how in that next battle too, it's still the tomato is still literally like sliding off of his helmet, yes. and he says to the guy, uh, "Oh, the guy says to him." We know what kind of grief follows you super types around. And he grabs him by the shirt and picks him up and says, right. I had you pegged as a thinker. The moment I felt that tomato and then he's like, listen, well, all of a sudden this crazy like geyser kind of almost erupts from under the street and knocks well, Iron Man and this guy, I don't know, 50 feet in the air, maybe. Yeah. And then they start falling. And I'm thinking to myself again, first time I'm reading it. OK, they're falling. This guy's going to fall into like a bunch of hedges or a tree or Iron Man's going to grab him. Uh, no, that is not what happens here. Right. It's, yeah. it's crazy. The guy hits the pavement and and dies. He's dead. And the doctor that shows up says he's dead. Busted his skull open when he hit the street. And there's, you know, Iron Man standing there kind of like with his shoulders slunk down in his head and says there was nothing I could do. But that was wild, too. So now we have a little girl and this guy that just are dead already. And we're 16 pages into this comic. Yeah, th th this is this is not typical for Iron Man of this era. And no. Again, and the idea that is like, you know, that he that he can't save the guy and the guy dies. It's such a Marvel horror sort of thing. Right. Yeah. It's such a pushing the envelope. I, I said, if if this is. A man thing annual featuring Iron Man, I wouldn't have been as shocked by this. But as an Iron Man annual, I can imagine your your run of the mill Iron Man reader picking this up and just being kind of floored by the the level of of, of violence in this book already. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah, like I said not not even a third of the way through the story yet. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then we do have you know Iron Man kind of flies off, and uh, Paul and his uh, buddy here. I'm not sure what that guy's name is, but the two guys that you know talked to. Tony about you know rebuilding Omegaville they say like oh let's meet up for some uh, food here and like discuss what's going on and they kind of say to Tony and again here's more you know reaching back to other stories you know continuity I love it you know they reference how in Citrusville you know not too long ago there was a big riot and there was a book burning and all this stuff and you know that was a crazy story and uh, 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 man thing 17 and 18 there's a little caption box from marv here that says about it that was a wild story too but yeah it's really cool i love how they you know reach back into in continuity and tie these things together and you know they have a conversation with tony about it and you know tony says he wants to you know kind of figure out what's going on here and how he can help and they's like you know the two of them are like well there's this one guy you could talk to and uh, he goes to prison uh, to visit Richard Rory, who is kind of a, a Man-Thing supporting character that's uh, been framed for a kidnapping. So he's in jail here. Yeah. And this this whole bit, I love that there's there's like a subplot set up that we get absolutely no payoff for here because mm -hmm. Tony talks to Rory and gets all the information. And I love that Rory looks looks like you'd expect a DJ to look in 1976 <laughs> even, even in prison. Like, hey, man, we're going to spin some new stuff here to see our man. Don't forget our sponsor, you know, Schmurmer Ford. But uh, <laughs> um, 
So uh, the last page, last panel of page 18, you know, Tony says, you've, you've been an enormous help, Mr. Rory. I'm grateful. And Rory says, my pleasure. Drop by again anytime. I'm always home. And then there's a caption box says, and uh, remember that lawyer you promised me for my appeal. We will hear nothing of this. <laughs> yeah, too. And it was funny, too, because I think if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember who the artist was on Man Thing when Richard Rory was first introduced. It might have been Sal Buscema, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But he does draw Richard Rory a bit different here because he made him look like Roy Thomas when he first, that, uh, when the character was first created, it was a dead rigger for Roy Thomas, which was great. I love that. He, he doesn't look like Roy a whole lot. Not that I'm aware of anyway. Maybe he does. He, he does look a bit different, especially his hairstyle here on page 18. But I do love too how, you know, Gerber, he would throw in his, uh, you know, topical references uh, here. And uh, Rory's talking to uh, Tony and he says, um, yeah, me too. That's why I'd given William Kunstler an even bigger welcome. But don't get me wrong, you'll do, because he realizes, he recognizes Tony Stark here. <laughs> I had to look up that reference because, again, I was one when this comic came out. So, you know, every once in a while I get these references from a Gerber comic, and I'm just like, what's that? Who was that? Was that somebody important? And yeah. that was a, a lawyer guy, a big-time lawyer guy that defended in some really uh, – you know, high profile case in Chicago. So I'm like, okay, mm. that's, that, that, that's, that's Gerber. I get it. He would throw that stuff in there all the time. So, um, what do you think of this next part though, with Tony, uh, getting in his uh, car here and gets on his little TV screen to talk to the Avengers and then, uh, Reed Richards. <laughs> I, I love this because mm -hmm. there, there's, you know, because, because it's a Marvel universe, right? Mm -hmm. It's everybody knows everybody. Tony Stark gave, gave the Avengers all their tech anyway, mm -hmm. you know, I think maybe it's like, uh, you know, um, you, you almost get the feeling that uh, Steve was like, hey, Sal, is there an Avenger you want to draw? He goes, how about the Vision? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll write to be the Vision. Because it could be anybody, you know. Mm -hmm. It just happens yeah. to be Vision, mm -hmm. right? And you have to get the Fantastic Four, uh, some member in there, because of the Molecule Man. Mm -hmm. So it's like, the thing is, Gerber had, I, I don't know, and, and I might be shooting from the hip and I might be completely off, but it seems to me that a lot of folks my age and younger and I was born in 1980, so I'll put that out there to date myself. They seem to think of Gerber and some of the other guys from this era. Jim Starlin gets thrown in there a lot. That they just they just did a lot of substances and they wrote a lot of weird crap. And their stuff is great, but it's always kind of out there and, and weird. And it's like, that's not really true. They did some stuff that was out there and strange. But a lot of their stuff, these guys were, a lot of them were fans before they started writing. So they know the history. And continuity, mm -hmm. that that to me has always been, especially at Marvel, that was like the defining rate of that second yeah. wave, that Bronze Age was. These were the fans that became pros. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I, I have no doubt that Steve Gerber knew, oh, yeah, well, Molecule from the Fantastic Four. We've got to have Reed Richards in here somehow, you know. So I, I, that, I, to me, it's it's very, first off, I, I love the art. Buscema's art is so moody in here, mm -hmm. especially the last panel on page 19 where Tony's in thought. You know, mm -hmm. oh, that's a great panel. Stuff. And I like that it's not Happy Hogan because this driver is not very good. Happy Hogan would have been, you know, <laughs> he'd have been all over this. He wasn't even his driver at this point. Hogan was uh, chief of security, I think, by this point for for SI. But mm -hmm. uh, no, but I, I like this because it, it's again, it's it's more continuity. It's that same. It's 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 one of the things that was at this time was a major difference between Marvel and DC. Now that that, of course, that pendulum swings back and forth. But mm -hmm. by 76, DC still was 
fairly self-contained in a lot of their stories, whereas Marvel was, it was the universe, right? That was the whole, mm -hmm. that was the whole kit and caboodle when you got a Marvel book. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, this was great. That's it, the whole story. I mean, we've got, we've got a Fantastic Four villain and a Marvel horror character guest starring in an Iron Man book. <laughs> yeah, it sounds crazy, but it actually works pretty good. And I, like yeah. you said, again, he references that uh, Marvel two and one number one. And I think you said you haven't read that. Oh, you got to read that, man. It's a good one. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely insane because the thing goes to Florida to confront the man thing because he's thinking he's trying to poach his name because his thing is in his name. That's yeah. basically <laughs> what goes on. It's, it's crazy. But he does, you know, talk to Reed Richards and Reed said, you know, Ben's not here. But, oh, yes, the Molecule Man did die in that battle in Florida because Richard Rory, you know, kind of brought it up about the Molecule Man. So Tony's kind of thinking, hey, maybe there's more to this. Maybe he's not really dead. And then, you know, as he's, you know, monologuing there, we turn the page and chapter two, the daughter also rises. And we see that Cynthia that had drowned weeks earlier. And she has that crazy wand. And somehow, maybe, I guess, maybe his spirit was still in the swamp there where he had died. And the Molecule Man kind of, like, possesses her body here. And it's kind of creepy, actually, if you ask me, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, she she looks like a demon mm -hmm. in that, that little half-page splash on page 22. And then she looks even more so. And the, uh, the fact that she's in the tattered remains of her Iron Man costume. Yeah. It's, it's very creepy. It's, it's like something out of a, uh, definitely, like I said, a horror movie vibe. Um, mm -hmm. I get sort of a, a Mario Bava look yeah. like this, which <laughs> again, that that's right in my wheelhouse. And then, uh, what's funny is then, then the next page the, you know, it's, it's the, the molecule person as, as uh, Gerber will go to refer to it to them throughout this story. Yeah. Who can't be topical, right? We'll just leave it at that. But uh, <laughs> and I, and I do love this. the 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 state of the body is not inalterable. Nothing composed of molecules, and that accounts for most of the universe, is beyond transmutation by the molecule man. But this being is not the molecule man any more than it is Cynthia. Its stature, its musculature, respond to the wand's power. Its gender, however, does not. So <laughs> it, this look of the molecule person. With the Molecule Man's, you know, scars and mouth, but Cynthia's hair and now a a, a adult woman's body, mm. it's 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 a good look. I mean, it's a good costume <laughs> with the two tone green and the yellow and the 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 yellow blonde hair mm -hmm. setting it off. It looks neat in a very silver agey sort of way, but it's also kind of weird when you think, yeah, that's a dude though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it calls back to the cover where it does look like a dude on the cover, but it's yeah. really supposed to be Cynthia there. I don't know if they just didn't want to give it away or if Buckler and Giacoya just were told, Hey, the molecule man's, you know, gone crazy and he's habit inhabiting the body of a blonde and they just thought it was a dude. I don't know, yeah. but yeah, it's kind of crazy, but I do love that very last panel there where, yes. you know, my, the man thing, we get a close up shot of his eyes and his eyes have the reflection of, uh, the Cynthia molecule man here in them. And I, again, a Gerber was the best man thing writer. It's not even close. Nobody's ever come close to writing that character like him. And I love this caption boxes here. It says the answer lies not in the observable actions of this curious being, but in a subtler dynamic unperceived at present, even by the being itself, but man thing drawn back to the area of the pool by the violent emotional emanations 
feels it for what it is. And he's just staring there because, you know, again, man thing can't talk. So, you know, Gerber would have to basically, right. you know, explain everything in that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then that next page, too, where uh, the Cynthia Molecule yeah. Man well, has I, the I, tricycle. <laughs> yeah. Or bicycle. He, and um, the bike, she turns into a jet powered bike. But I tell you, <laughs> any any scene here in the swamp or any scene, especially with man thing, Jack Abel is earning whatever his page rate was. I mean, mm. that, that last panel, look at all those lines in there. Mm. It is, it is a thing of beauty. If, if you, I mean, if, if you appreciate comic book inking and I do, I'm a big fan of, of ink, of inked work. Just mm-hmm. look at all those fine lines because you know, that was either, I don't know if uh, I'm assuming Jack Abel at this point was using a technical pen, but that's mm-hmm. either technical pen or a very fine tip uh, ink brush rolled to a point to do all those lines like that because it it is not it's not mushy at the edges. It's sharp at the edges and then into deep yeah. shadow. It's like, oh, that is so wonderful. This would look am- I have to I think this is in I don't re- I don't know if this ever got reprinted in an essential. I'll have to dig that out. I wonder how it looks in the black and white if it is. Because, man, I, I love that inking. We see more in the coming sequence with Iron Man and the Man thing of, of Abel's inks really looking sharp in, in this and really selling, again, the, 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 the contrast between the, the superheroic style stuff of Busima and the horror stuff with Man thing with, the, with Abel's inks on top of it. Abel does a really good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to reference these upcoming pages as well with how detailed Man thing is. Uh, Cynthia Molecule woman or whatever you want to call her. She goes back home and scares the crap out of her mother because, of course, her mother is like, you know, you're dead. What's going on here? Um, So she's in shock and awe. But then uh, Tony and his driver run straight into the man thing. And then, like you said, the detail with Abel's inks on man thing here are just incredible. I can't believe how great it looks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And 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 again, even the, the inks on Iron Man look good as well, but Iron Man is all smooth surfaces, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so there, so the the inking is again more what you'd expect on a smooth metallic surface like that. So there's inking on the musculature, there's inking on the uh, the lines on his his armor and at the joints and seams. Whereas Man Thing, it's it's all rounded and organic, and it looks so. And again, the contrast on page twenty six when they're uh, they're share they share pretty much every panel together. The contrast between these two characters that are both, they're both Marvel characters, they're both mainstream characters, they're both leads in their own books. Mm-hmm. But the, just the, the difference between them, it's very striking and it's very, very enjoyable as a reader to see characters that normally have no reason to interact, interact. And I mean, that, that's most of man things shtick, right? Is that it's like, mm-hmm. why is such and such in the swamps of Citrusville this month? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They had to think of some crazy reason for other you know heroes and stuff like that to be in in florida but i do like too there's a, a classic on the top of page 25 there sal buscema face where the driver's crapping his pants oh yeah about to run into man thing that's classic sal buscema face right there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely and then, yeah and then there's a really cool two-page you know a little fight here between uh iron man and man thing and it takes a uh, tony a little while to figure out like what he's made of and how he can try to stop him but he eventually pulls this little pill out and I've never seen that before. Have you ever seen that in any of the Iron Man comics? Uh, so yeah, that's a, that's a new one for me because now at this point he would every now and again, break out some odd 
device or gadget mm-hmm. that you wouldn't see. And but normally they're held in the uh, so the two uh, the two round epaulets on his uh, hips. Those mm-hmm. are nominally power packs, but also in them or in the trunk, sometimes there was stuff hidden. I've never seen one. I don't remember one at the top of my head hidden in the shoulder, and I don't recall him using a um, a, uh, a a quick freezing gas like that. That's actually a bit more akin to an earlier era back in the sixties uh, mm. during uh, the Stan Lee era. The it's funny because they would eventually come back around to this. The, the idea of him having modules that he would stick on the armor to bring a new weapon or tool that mm-hmm. was used a bit in the early days of the strip in tales of suspense. He was almost, I remember my friend Adam saying that to me, we were at heroes con one, uh, um, um, one year and he had gotten Essential Iron Man Volume 1, and we were waiting for a panel to start. And he started reading. He's like, wow, Tony's like a total gadgeteer in here, right? And I said, yeah, he is. So, it's like a Batman deal almost. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, again, wild. when you can, that that was the the Bob Layton and Dave McElhinney thing, right? Is that given enough time, Tony can engineer a solution to any any problem or, or any foe. Yeah. Right? So that that is kind of the Batman situation, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. so... Yeah, so I, I like it here, and and I totally buy it because again, just like we buy it, that Batman has all this stuff ready to go. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's and that's cool. I like that. I like that Tony, you know, can come up with new stuff on the fly that you haven't seen. You know, now you wouldn't want it to be like you know every issue, but every once in a while, I dig that man. I like that. Yeah, yeah, and and, and it works well here too because how do you fight something that's made of muck and slime? Yeah, he, he figures it out. He's like, oh, wait a minute. I have this like little, it almost looks like a little pill, but he calls it a cryogen yeah. bomb and it freezes and he chucks it at man thing and it does. It freezes him like solid. And then that gives uh, Iron Man time to uh, see what's uh, going on. Uh, and he goes, but no sooner has that breath been caught than it's stolen away. <laughs> I love the dialogue here. He's thinking to yeah. himself, either sniffing man things muck too long produces hallucinations or we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, because it's yeah. just like, almost looks like a, you know, palace from uh, something you would have saw at the Emerald City the in Emerald uh, City. Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what, though? Isn't that what a little girl would make? Yeah, you would even think, a, yeah. Even a, a tomboy, right? She'd mm-hmm. still make, which which is established on the next, and the next, the next page, that this whole scene is kind of heavy, too. But, yeah, I mean, that that's that's what that's what she would do. But this whole thing of her, of a molecule person terrorizing Cynthia's mom. Yeah. And she turns her into a doll, but the doll is still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Again, That's we're, creepy. We're, dip, we're dipping hard into that, that, that Bronze Age horror, you know? It's really weird, because at first I thought when she did that, she was going to just die. But <clears throat> we'll see a little bit later on. That's not really what happens. But yeah, it, and again, there's that page where she turns her into the doll. And then we flip to the next page and we start getting absurd here. So Cynthia slash molecule girl picks up the doll and the caption boxes say, and when and when dad gets home, Cynthia decides he'll get the same treatment. He'll find out at last what his little girl can really do. And then the next panel says like punch herself in the face, for example. And literally that's what the character is doing. It says, no, I won't see my power squandered thus. That's like, what in the world? Man, yeah. Gerber was wild. <laughs> right. And this, I mean, and then the 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 large panel here of mm. the metaphysical struggle between 
the Molecule Man and Cynthia, where we see both their paths, mm-hmm. and you know, the um, it, that again, it's 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 heavy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's the uh, to borrow a phrase from a DC Bronze Age, the typhoon is a storm of the soul, right? So this is this mm-hmm. is all an internal conflict, you know. It's it's uh, it's it's two minds in in one body, and they're fighting for control in a very literal sense here, as as portrayed by. Uh, Busema and and Abel, mm-hmm. uh, but but the stuff with Cynthia, you know, the it says and Cynthia, the nine year old, the indomitable tomboy, whose misfortune it was to sink into a certain radioactive quicksand pool, uh, the same pool which years ago spawned a monster called the Glob, which I'm pretty sure is an Atlas era monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. I, so no, there's no there's no note there, the but. Uh, yeah, so this again, and you see the little bits of her home life where she's being scolded for breaking a vase, and her dad, I think, wants her to. Uh, he's he's taking a hammer from her and giving her a doll, mm-hmm. I think. So it's yeah. like, okay, was was she gonna smash the 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 doll? Is she all? Is she a destructive right. person by her nature? Is is that you know? We just don't know. We get these little glimpses of her life, and it's this little weird domestic uh, tragedy that plays out. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, then you get one of my, again, a great bit. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the caption starts within the minds of the molecule person, a frightful phantasmagoria unfurls and phantasmagoria has a little asterisk next to it. And at the bottom, it says the note, I know this phrase is trite, overworked, dull, but I was stuck. Suggestions welcome. Signed SG. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, again. Suggest he's he's still he's he's engaging with the reader on a one to one level. He's like, look, I, I I know it's not the greatest term. If anyone has any suggestions, please let me know. You know, yeah. he's like, <laughs> I'm overworked and underpaid. Like, come on, <laughs> give me a break here. <laughs> oh, great stuff. But yeah, that conflict is it's, going great on. Sequence and, here of the two of them. Battle. Yeah, and then yeah, good battle here between you know Iron Man comes busting through the wall here, and there's a really cool battle. But again, it's not that it's just not. Iron Man and Molecule Cynthia here battling. It's Molecule Man and Cynthia on the inside battling as well. They keep touching back and forth between the two things, mm-hmm. which is really cool. I do really enjoy that. And then, you know, the yeah, I got to check on the chauffeur because he's, you know, outside and not doing too good. But all of a sudden we see uh, the man thing. He's starting to defrost here. And uh, Iron Man's like, man, things begun to thaw. All right, stay with the car. And he goes, I'll send a tow truck once I've returned the monster to the swamp. And in the meantime, he flies away with frozen man thing and then just drops him into the swamp. (laughs) Yeah, just throw that anywhere, you know. And chapter three, the war within. And we get to, uh, you know, the TV cameras and uh, Tony Stark is there. And, you know, they're going to open, reopen Omegaville here. And here comes the crazy once again, you know the giant uh, skeleton of that crazy, the heck was his name? Uh, Yagzan. Yagzan. Just, yep. Yeah, he just comes to life here and starts beating the crap out of everybody and fighting Iron Man, which is hilarious. Yeah, it's a just, you know, when in doubt, throw a skeleton. I mean, that, that worked for DC's horror books for years. When in doubt, just throw a skeleton in there. Mm, then Man-Thing, you know, he defrosted all the way and he comes shambling over and, you know, the, the bones get defeated and and we see Cynthia again. She's back to being herself in the swamp here. And, you know, it's funny. It says, uh, 
Cynthia in her Iron Man costume, the little dead girl. She's still recognizable as that child who vanished, whose mother vanished also, whose home later served as a molecule man's palace, still recognizable, but changed, pale, weak, sickly, emaciated. And then, the, you know, the guy walks up to her here and it's like, I've won. And, you know, you get the impression maybe that Cynthia can't fight the molecule man anymore here. But we get another really creepy scene with the Cynthia's mom doll. That's yes. really creepy on page. Uh, what is that? Page 39 there. Wow. That yes. is crazy. Yeah, and, and I like that when the molecule man exerts his control over the shared body, he begins to speak with the very kind of over the top manner that he spoke back in the, in, mm -hmm. and I believe in all of his appearances, but that was the way that he, he spoke when he was written by Stan Lee mm -hmm. aside, Cheryl, you know, <laughs> I rule this body now. <laughs> so yeah, he's deaf. And again, you're right. The, the doll cast aside and still alive, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so creepy. It's laying there and it says, help me. I'm like, Oh, yeah. that's so creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's... And then, uh, so that, you know, so now it's on with molecule man controlling this combined body. And mm -hmm. again, it's the, the name on the front of the book. I'm going to check. It does in fact say the invincible iron man. Um, and this mm -hmm. is what I was saying about the nature of the molecule man as a character yeah. In one panel, he turns Iron Man into a block of iron. Mm, an Iron Man, really, an iron statue. <laughs> yeah, he, as he says, he goes, an Iron Man you call yourself, an Iron Man you shall be. And so it's like, okay. I mean, mm -hmm. those of you who thought that it was like a modern phenomenon for writers to like dismiss Iron Man in his own book, no, no. no, no. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, you know, and, and a lot of, I feel like a lot of the more uh, garden variety kind of comic book writers at this point, you know, would have had man thing come in here and kind of save the day. And he does, you know, grab a hold of uh, molecule Cynthia here. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it molecule Cynthia shows fear. So burns at the man things touch and we get the yeah. tagline and everything. But then here's where Steve Gerber comes in. The wand flies out of molecule Cynthia's hands and then we see Cynthia kind of fall to the ground. And at this point, again, I'm not sure. Is she going to be dead? Is she going to be alive? What's going to happen? The mother turns back into herself from the doll. Iron Man, okay, he gets, he's back to normal. And there's a giant snake in the swamp yes. that grabs Molecule Man's wand that I guess still kind of has his uh, personality, soul, yeah. something uh, attached to it. So then it turns into this giant snake man, which is the molecule man, which is yes. completely absurd. It looks like the Gorn from Star Trek. It looks like the Gorn, or it looks like uh, one of Kiss's snake men from Masters of the Universe. <laughs> you know that you. I don't know. Your some of your some of your listeners may be a little a little bit older than that demo, but that's what it literally looks like. It's like oh, okay, where's where's Ratlor and Tongue Lasher and Cobra Con and Squeeze. And Snake Face, are they all going to come in here as well? Um, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's but bizarre. The, it is, but the uh, but I love it because, and the thing that leads up to, like you said, when Man Thing comes and grabs Molecule Person, and they whatever knows fear burns at Man Thing's touch. You knew it was coming. It happens mm -hmm. in every time the Man Thing shows up. Mm -hmm. um, there was a a kids show, the Superhero Squad show, Cheese and Rice, probably about a decade ago now. Yeah, my, my boy, my boys were, were little, little when that came on. 
And there's an ep- episode with the man thing. And like every couple of minutes, the narrator says, and whatever knows fear burns at the touch of man thing. Like it says it like seven or eight times through the episode. That's great. Um, so, but yeah, so the, the, you know, the, the wand flies out of his hand, Cynthia back to normal, the mom back to normal mm-hmm. and uh, Iron Man back to normal. And again, the caption instantly no longer wedded by that instrument to the molecule man's consciousness. Cynthia's form returns to normal, as does her mother's, and that of the Golden Avenger as well. All in all, a rather satisfying way to end this tale, save that neither the exigencies of comic book publishing nor existential circumstances (laughs) will allow us so tidy a conclusion. We've still four pages to fill. And again, right on on the first page, Gerber says that it bears no relation to the 34 pages that follow. And so we can't end early. We've already told you that it's 34 pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know. And- so, uh, yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, is Gerber writing this? And he was really like, okay, the wand's out of molecule Cynthia's hands and everything's back to normal. And then did he think to himself, oh, crap, I still need to fill a few more pages. What yeah. can I do? And this is what springs out of his insane mind. Yes. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh, it's crazy. But, yeah, but this this finale, I legitimately love this. The idea that mm-hmm. okay, so you've got Snake Man, Molecule Man. Okay, Snake Man from uh, you know, Preternia, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Iron Man has something he can fight, right? Yes. So we yes. do get this. We get we get a couple of repulsor blasts, you know, and then he snatches the uh the rod away from uh the molecule snake man, and then the molecule man begins to infect Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And we get this amazing, amazing panel from Busema and Abel on the bottom of page 45, where we see the Molecule Man's features embed themselves on Iron Man's faceplate. Yeah, and that's crazy. Yeah, because it's like, okay, Molecule Man's bad enough. Now let's in, in, encase him in essentially a walking fighter jet, mm-hmm. because that's what Iron Man is. Yeah, you know, I think some people sometimes, I, I shouldn't say this. Before the Iron Man movie, I think people sometimes didn't always realize that. That it's like he's a he's a living, walking war machine. That's what he is when mm-hmm. he's armored up. And so now you're going to put the in, the insane Molecule Man in that, and mm. it goes. And uh, the way that this goes about, and how Gerber describes that that Tony is an Iron Man, yes, because he wears a suit that was originally made of iron. But I I love this because. I made the joke earlier that a lot of times modern writers will kind of dismiss Iron Man in his own book and use him as a tool to put over other characters who, in the writer's opinion, are more of an air quotes up to the mic real hero. And I made that joke. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that's what Gerber was doing, because here Gerber puts over Tony Stark as a as a, a as a real hero. You know, he says yeah. that. It is the significance of iron goes deeper to a will of iron, a sense of self and so tenacious a grasp on the principle of the individual's essential dignity and worth that despite the pain knifing at his chest, he battles the molecule man to a standoff. I love that. The, that mm-hmm. is that is such an insightful statement about Tony Stark and about Iron Man, especially through this point in the character's history about the worth and dignity of the individual and that mm-hmm. yes, he runs a giant company. Yes. He's an industrial. Yes. For a long time he made weapons, but the character moved away from that to use his 
his intellect and his ability to make the world a better place because of the impact it had on individuals. You know, the, um, mm-hmm. we, the, uh, we, my brother and I, actually, it's kind of funny talking about Iron Man, but a couple of months back as we're recording this, my brother and I did an episode of podcast, Bots, Bugs and Bays. We talked about RoboCop, right? Mm, and, yeah. and RoboCop is has some similar ideas to Iron Man. In fact, there's an appearance, a cameo appearance by an Iron Man comic in, in RoboCop, which I, I'll always love. Oh, that's uh, funny. <laughs> yeah. But we talked about that, that one of the themes of that film is the dignity and value of the individual as a person. And that's what they're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And that he's not going to let this one, this, this, uh, the molecule man that took over a little girl's body and, you know, corrupted it and did all mm-hmm. this awful things. He's not going to let it happen to the point that, you know, even though again it's man thing that ultimately resolves the issue, it may it puts Iron Man over so well that it it really does make me uh, a really it, it ends it on such a good note with Iron Man here. Yeah, and I do love again they reference continuity. They you yeah. know uh, Molecule Man's trying to overtake Iron Man, and he mentions uh, his damaged heart. So yes. I, I, again, I I love that stuff. It's stuff that. I feel like you don't hear about and haven't really heard about continuity like that in comics for a very long time. And it's, you know, one of the reasons why I don't read a whole lot of newer comics, because yeah. I, just, I, I do. I love this. I love that they referenced how many different things in here continuity wise across Marvel two and one Fantastic Four giant size man thing, Iron Man comics like they, they, they're really, you know, acknowledging it's it's an entire universe that's all, you know, cohesive. Mm hmm. Well, and then man thing here, he's, you know, he sees how Iron Man is, you know, he's just about ready to kind of stave off uh, Molecule Man trying to take him over. And he grabs the wand. And of course, you know, man thing, he really doesn't have a brain to speak of. So when he grabs it and the Molecule Man tries to take him over, it doesn't work. And I love it how it says, uh, uh, but his vision clears in time to see the strange image trapped in the cloudy crimson globes of Man-Thing's eyes. The Molecule Man, helpless, enraged, searching for a mind to inhabit where there is none. The search ends as it must in oblivion. <laughs> that's that's it. So I guess yeah. te- technically, once again, Molecule Man's dead. Yeah, and another great, great job by Busema and Abel on that last panel, just the, the empty void of Man-Thing's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Looks great. And then, you know, you get Man-Thing doing his best, you know, Man-Thing where he just shambles away and he's got the the wand still in his hand and going back into the swamp just to hang out. And, uh, you know, we have Tony here, you know, monologuing, wish I could be more certain what just happened. And the only thing I can say for sure is that massive moss and muck saved my life in some mysterious way. (laughs) I love it. Mm, And everybody else, the townspeople are there, too. And. You know, Tony's there, and that's that's pretty much the end of the story there. Yeah. But wow, what an insane story! This it's right. fun though; it's really good. It, it is crazy, and it is a typical Gerber story in a lot of ways. But again, I like just about everything of his I've ever read. I know a lot of people think Howard the Duck is like the best thing he ever did, and it's weird. That's probably my least favorite thing that I've read of his. But you know, his man thing. His Omega the Unknown is really cool. It's it's quirky and it's weird, but I love it. But yeah, love reading his stuff. Yeah, yeah. And just just one note on that last page. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see that Cynthia is back to normal. Yeah. And on the second to last panel, she's there with her mom. And you can see how happy she is to see Iron Man. 
yeah. just a little thing with her eyes, her eyes wide, her mm-hmm. hands clasped. That's her hero. And she called Iron Man her hero mm-hmm. earlier when she was fighting uh, the metaphysical battle with uh, with the Molecule Man. Um, yeah, this is I've not read a ton of Gerber's stuff. I've read some of his stuff. I've not read a, like I've read like very little Howard the Duck, to be honest. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, but I've read some of the other like um, some of the other stuff that he's done for Marvel, and and I, I generally like his stuff, mm-hmm. and because it is a little out there, but this this is this really is one of my favorites because I think it it shows kind of both sides of that. It has the weird, it has the supernatural, it has the horror, but at the same time, it, it's still a superhero story, and mm-hmm. it and it fits. It's not so outlandish. That you look at and say, "Wow, th- this really should have been an issue of Man Thing and not Iron Man or whatever." But it's not so stayed. That's not like, "Wow, Gerber kind of phoned this in." It really does kind of touch on both sides of it, and mm-hmm. I think it does. It does good with the cast that it uses. It's a great Molecule Man story, and and it, he, like I said, he's a hard character to write for mm-hmm. because he's so powerful. So here, make putting him and the little girl together and having it be a metaphysical sort of thing, I it really comes off well. The art is is beautiful. Again, like I said, Busima and Abel, not a team I think of for Iron Man, but dang, they could have done a run on Iron Man. This looks nice. You know, there's a yeah. lot of good stuff in here. So I, I this this one, again, much like I said with Iron Man Annual 4, it was not a chore to break this out. I was I was more than happy to break this out and have an excuse to read it. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's yeah, great creative team behind it and really fun, cool, but quirky story. And yeah, you need to get your hands on Marvel Two and One Number One. Uh, we'll have to, yeah. we'll have to, we'll have to figure out a way for you to read that. I don't know if I have it reprinted anywhere, or something like that. I can even send you, but that's a good one. It's a crazy comic, but again, it, it kind of mirrors this one. It's, it's crazy, but it's good, and it's Gerber, and I think it might even be Sal Buscema as well. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, great stuff. So yeah, so overall, two thumbs up here. So everybody, you need to get yourself out there and. Get a copy of uh, Iron Man Annual 3. I don't think this one's, you know, crazy priced. You know, you could probably find this one for a few bucks here and there. Yeah, I've actually come across two copies of this out of relatively cheapy bins. Um, yeah. I had I had a really kind of whipped one that I found, I think, in a dollar bin. Mm-hmm. And then I found a nicer one. I think I probably got it for about either 4 or $5 at a, at a con because I knew my copy was in rough shape. And I actually sent the more beat up one to professor Allen uh, mm. as part of the uh, comic book circle of life. Cause I know he always, he always loves comics that are basically falling apart. Anyway, I've sent him a few <laughs> Iron Man's over the years where it's like, yeah, dude, just be careful reading this. Cause you know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's, but no, th- this is, this is a great one. And like I said, there, there's a lot of oddball, um, uh, uh, annuals that Iron mm-hmm. Man did. There's one with, there's one with the Eternals. Um, there's there's one that's not really odd, but it's more it's it's pretty well known because it's where uh, Eric Jostin becomes Goliath. I covered that actually with Derek W. Crab over on the Fan Holes many years ago. There's mm. a lot of there's there's some decent stuff in these annuals. I mean there there's some you know not so great ones too when you get some of the later like some of the uh, the crossover ones and stuff but uh i i generally genuinely like them i know when i was i mean i'm i'm about i think maybe about 30 issues away from having a full run of iron man volume 1 i was always excited to find an annual because it was big right mm-hmm. and it it's like oh man i got like you know 40 pages of iron man to read here you know and when you're when you're first starting a collection it's like uh 
all of it's good because you don't have any of it, right? You're just excited to get, yeah. get more of it and see it piling up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime you can kind of finish off a run, especially when it's, you know, the character you really love, that's a great, that's great, man. Like when I finished off Doctor Strange, that was cool, man. Like the 1974 series, I was like, yeah. Jones and to finish that one off. And of course, you know, the lower numbers are always the tougher ones to get because they're so stinking expensive. Oh, yeah. Well, what's funny is that um, the one of the ones that's going to be the absolute bear to get, and I had no way to predict this back when this book was only, you know, a three-digit book and not a five-digit book like it is now, mm. is Iron Man 55. Oh, course, yeah. First, yeah. First appearance <laughs> of that, uh, that wrinkly chin guy that was in those movies, you know? Well, you know, the good news is hopefully as these movies slowly lose their luster and kind of fade out, and not that I'm wishing that, but obviously it's going to happen at some point. So hopefully those uh, that'll bring down the prices a little bit. Yeah. Um, Marvel was kind enough to do a very back when they were doing their one dollar true believer reprint. Oh, OK. Yeah, they they did a reprint of uh, Iron Man 55 called Thanos the first. And it slots right in there between my copies of Iron Man 54 and 56. And no, no one's the wiser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I have that. That's that's how I have uh, Tomb of Dracula number 10. You know, the first oh. appearance of Blade. It was a, yeah. you know, Marvel did a reprint of it. So that's what it looks like in my collection. <laughs> I, I loved I loved those True Believer books for a, because they were a dollar. And then through my mail order service, they were 60 cents. And it's oh, like, wow. you know, if it's like even if you know what, it's like, oh, it's a classic. It's not that great. OK, it's 60 cents. I got to read it and I can hand it off to the kids to read. And I'm, you know, I'm out 60 cents. Who cares? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And again, I don't even mind paying like, you know, some of those reprints. They'll even go up in price a little bit, too. I don't yeah. even mind paying a couple bucks for those either. It's just that, you know, right. the, the original ones, man, when they're hundreds or thousands of dollars, it's like, well, sorry, that's out of reach. That's never yeah. happening. So if I can get a reprint or a trade, I'm all over that. Oh, I, I'm I'm all about the, the trades. But but even, you know, those facsimile editions, some mm -hmm. people really dislike them. Like, I know. Rob Liefeld will not sign a simile edition of what is it, New Mutants '89? Oh wow! Is that the first appearance of Cable? I think I so. Think? Yeah, yeah, somewhere around so there. Yeah, there, it's either it's either that one or it's New Mutant or it's New Mutants '98, which is the first appearance of of Deadpool. He yeah. will not sign the facsimile edition because wow. he says that he didn't get. Well, he's he claims he doesn't get. I believe the claim is that he says he didn't get any money out of that out of that reprint, so he huh. doesn't want to get to sign it but he was like if you bring an original he'll gladly sign it because he got paid to do that work hmm. but but it's like okay i i get that i totally get that you know i'm i've i've had this discussion on many podcasts i'm 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 down with creator rights i'm i i, I side with creators over companies on that but as a consumer i'm more than happy to pay 399 cover to get a facsimile edition of tales of suspense 39 First appearance mm -hmm. of Iron Man. I was more than happy to pay three ninety nine to get a fast simile edition of Amazing Spider Man one hundred one. First appearance of Morbius. Mm -hmm. You know these yep. other books that are out of my price range. I don't have a problem with that as a consumer. I get the the other side of that story. You know. Yeah. So, so again, if you're going to go see Rob Liefeld, don't bring him a reprint. He'll be he'll be you'll not be happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be salty. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I I didn't hadn't heard that, but yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't really hit too many big shows anymore. It's just they're they're usually just way too crowded for me anymore. Oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't really enjoy huge crowds, so I, I doubt mean, the, I'll ever see him anyway. 
Yeah, the biggest show I, I go to, and it's not a year thing, actually just happened uh, a couple of weeks ago as we're recording this, is Heroes Con up in Charlotte. Oh, which yeah. Is, Heroes Con is, is really cool if you ever get an opportunity because it is completely comics-focused. They don't have other media there, mm, and right. so it's very much comics-focused. Um, actually, I mentioned him earlier, Jim Starlin. I met Jim Starlin at, uh, at Heroes Con. told me a very funny story about uh, Hawkman. That when he started, when he first drew Hawkman, he thought Hawkman had the absolute hardest costume to draw because mm. he couldn't figure out how the helmet was supposed to work in three dimensions. Like if he turns his head, where do the wings on the helmet go, right? Yeah. And he said that he thought that for many years until he started drawing Annihilus. Oh, and he okay. said that he actually redesigned Annihilus to make him easier to draw, is what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, when you're a creator, you can do that yeah, kind of stuff. <laughs> you can get away with that kind of stuff. So uh, I know Annihilus, Fantastic <laughs> Four, Molecule Man, it's all, it's all connected, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, my friend. Well, why don't we transition now into what you have going on? So I know you have, you know, Earth Destruction Directive. That's your big, that's your big daddy. But then you have some other shows going on as well. So what's, uh, what's all going on with you? Sure. So like you said, Earth Destruction Directive is my main podcast. It is a Daikaiju podcast, so it's about Japanese giant monsters. Uh, we cover movies and TV shows and comics and games and just about anything involving Japanese giant monster culture. Uh, you can find that on 2TrueFreaks.com. Uh, one of the other shows I do, as I mentioned earlier, is The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which is a horror podcast. Primarily, we do movies. We have done a couple issues of uh uh, tomb of dracula on there um shout out to uh, our our much missed late great co-host sean engel who was a huge fan of uh of tomb of dracula and mm. uh we brought a few of those issues to uh to the show we, we probably should get back into that at some point we we have so many movies to cover though we're, we're like programmed out for like into next year so mm-hmm. uh, then the other show i do uh, oh, and Vault of Story Monster Horror Tales of Terror is also at 2TrueFreaks.com. And the third show is Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there's a podcast on the internet about professional wrestling. Uh, mm-hmm. I do that show with my brother Jason and the hair metal hero Chris Tyler. Um, and it's we're, we're, not, we're not one of these wrestling shows. It's like, okay, we watch Raw on Monday. Here's our reaction on Tuesday. We try to be a bit more backward looking, have a bit more fun with it. And uh, that can also be found on, on 2TrueFreaks.com. And uh, if if you um, if you're ever on YouTube, you can go search out Earth Destruction Directive. I do have a YouTube channel. Right now, it's primarily just mirrored episodes of the show, but I've been trying to get uh, a little bit more content on there. So uh, if you're on YouTube, uh, please search for Earth Destruction Directive and, and give us a subscription there. I'd really appreciate it. Awesome, yeah. So yeah, a lot going on there, a lot to unpack, and I'll have all this in the show notes as well. Anybody that wants to find links to all this stuff, and then. Uh, also, people can seek you out if they want to follow you on Twitter, correct? Yes. So on Twitter, my handle is uh, ljacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And uh, if you're if you're one of the uh, one of the Melvins like me who's still using Facebook, you can find me on that. <laughs> First name Luke, last name E D D. Uh, so you can and uh, find all the Earth Destruction Directive stuff there. You can also uh, get back to the wrestling has its own Facebook group. Uh, so you can find that. Just search for Get Back to the Wrestling. And Get Back to the Wrestling has its own Twitter as well. Just search for at GBTTW podcast uh, on your Twitter machine, and you can find uh, Get Back to the Wrestling there as well. Awesome. 
It's all over the interwebs. They got. I hear they got. <laughs> I hear they got the internet on computer now. So you know, it's made it a lot easier. You know. Yeah, these newfangled machines. I don't know. <laughs> no, no more hard copy internet surfing for me, man. I'm done with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. So, well, thank you, Luke, for being on here, man. I want to uh, thank you. It's, it's this is great, man. I love talking out these crazy stories with you. I mean. I know there was at least one other uh, crazy Iron Man story that I really, really love. And uh, I won't say what issue it is, but it involves uh, one of my favorite uh, Marvel horror characters from the uh, 1970s there. Well, we'll, we can keep that a secret to those who Mm -hmm. don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, uh, that's one I definitely want to talk to you about in the future. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know the one you mean, and I'm down with that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's crazy it, yeah. it's not it's not gerber but it's 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 crazy it's it's another matlow issue but it, it's wild it's not somebody you expect to see paired with iron man but somehow i think it's fun and it works <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah definitely maybe we could talk about that one down the road and then uh, i'm definitely gonna have you on again too to talk uh, about a movie you know we uh we're kicking around a couple of different ideas you and i a few months back had talked about rodan we had a lot of fun doing that and you know maybe another kaiju film or you know, maybe just uh, another quirky sci-fi film. You know, we are kicking around a couple ideas, so we'll have to uh, get our heads together and uh, decide on that. And then uh, people will definitely be hearing you again on the show down the road. So once again, well, thanks, Luke. I appreciate you being on. Hey, Billy, any anytime I can be on, I appreciate it, man. It's it's great talking Iron Man with you. It's great talking any just weird or odd stuff. You know, that's that's my scene. You know, I was always the weird kid. So the weird stuff fits fits in just fine with me. And uh, you know I got thing for monsters. So I'm always down with that on, on magazines and monsters. Awesome. Awesome. So, all right, I'm going to step aside here quick and we're going to have a little break. And I'll be back to wrap things up in a minute. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, once again, it was uh, great to have Luke on. Great guy, good guest. Uh, definitely check out his uh, Kaiju podcast, uh, Earth Destruction Directive. Really good stuff going on over there. He covers uh, pretty much everything you can think of out of Japan there between you know the uh, Toho films and the Gamera films, television uh, series. He covers everything over there. So definitely check him out. And then uh, just check out the uh, Two True Freaks Network. Uh, overall because he's on several other shows with uh, some other good guys over there too so definitely check that out and uh, look forward to another uh, episode that's going to have Luke and another special guest uh, very soon in the near future so be on the lookout for that one 